I honestly feel like right now, if I was to go up against my 35 year old self, I would take 35 year old Greg out and everything other than a very long bike ride. And yeah, I feel like we're in a great place now. Like we have the experience, we have the health, we have the knowledge, we have the ways of communicating with people around the world through incredible technology like you and I are doing right now. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being the why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarko.com. I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Greg Wells. You're very welcome, Greg. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark. Great to see you. Good to hear from you and so excited to spend some time with you today. I mean, I have to start, Greg, by looking back And for you, where did your passion for health and human performance come from? Yeah, we got to go right back to the beginning. And uh, when I was growing up, I was a competitive swimmer. I loved training and I was reasonably good. I was on the Canadian national youth team and uh, we were at training camp getting ready for Olympic trials. And I was playing in the waves with my buddies and I I was body surfing and I I was on a very big wave and it picked me up and dropped me on my head. And I ended up breaking my neck in three or four different places. I was in a halo vest for three months in traction. Oh my God. Then they did neurosurgery to rebuild uh, my spine um, in, you know, six months of rehab thereafter. And then subsequently actually was able to get back to swimming again, uh, up to sort of, you know, moderate, low international level, shall we say. And all my friends made the Olympics. I didn't, but you know, I'm almost over that. Uh, And then I went on to do kinesiology because I was so interested in the human body at that point. So it really began with that injury when I was 15. And subsequently, I've been uh, obsessed with human physiology, you know, ever since for the subsequent 40 some odd years. So yeah, that's where it started. So that that accident you know, where you broke your neck and clearly you were, you were very, very fortunate um, that it didn't end so much worse for you at that time. That obviously was a pivotal point for you in terms of your own career. It was because I think that to some extent, I, I mean, you learn some pretty hard lessons mm. early on, right? Like you learn about your own mor- mortality. I do very clearly remember sitting there thinking about, okay, if I am paralyzed, which fortunately I wasn't, but if I do get paralyzed, what does that mean? What am I going to do? And so, you know, I did go, I did have some pretty dark thoughts at that, at that point in time, but then obviously that sparks your interest. And then you're, I, I was fascinated by the nervous system. And then I was fascinated by training and then getting back up to, you know, being a decent varsity athlete and 
And actually I did end up going to Olympic trials and world cups. And that helped me to also understand that you can overcome many things, even when people tell you that you can't. My neurosurgeon said, you'll never swim again. Well, I was mm -hmm. at Olympic trials 14 months later, you know, and that sort of progressed on from there. And then I, even after university, I began doing public speaking very early on in my twenties uh, at financial institutions, teaching people about health and well-being and high performance and our ability to, to reach our dreams. And it just sort of carried on all the way through my life. So up until that point, I was thinking I was going to go into business. Uh, but then I very rapidly changed into kinesiology and human performance and been there ever since. And obviously, I mean, you've worked, you know, with a lot of international level athletes in Canada. Looking on that experience, Greg, how would you define success? Yeah, interesting. You know, my, my definition of success is probably has changed over time. I think when I was younger, it would have been around achievement. It would have been around getting the Olympic medals. It would have been around making a certain amount of money. It would have been around having a certain type of house, even though funny enough, I, you know, I, I never achieved any of those sorts of things. I probably was dreaming about when I was younger. Um, the happiest I've ever been was when I was, you know, I had very little funny enough. And I think now what success looks like is amazing lifestyle having magic moments with my family, exploring the world and having a positive impact upon others. I, I love the fact that I get to write a book and some people write my book and it makes their lives better. When I do public speaking engagements every once in a while, someone comes up to me and says, Greg, you know, I learned something and it changed my life. Or I create an opportunity for my children to go learn something or do something that you can see in that moment puts their life on a different, possibly better trajectory. So I would say early on in my career, everything was outcome-based. Whereas right now, I think I'm discovering that everything is process-based. Mm. And when the process is working, life goes really, really well. But when you get focused on outcomes, sometimes mm. it becomes more difficult to do the right things. Ironically enough, when you stop worrying about the outcome and mm. you start worrying about the process, things inevitably go a lot better than if you're only focused on the metal, so to speak. Yeah, I'm reminded of the Dalai Lama. He said, you know, there is no way to happiness because happiness is the way. In other words, it is all about the journey. And I'm just thinking, Greg, do you feel that, you know, your perspective changing in terms of how you view and value success now, do you think that's an age thing or do you think it's a, an experience of having lived a life sort of thing? I think it's probably a combination of both. You know, now I do have the, the very big blessing of being able to look back upon the last 50 years and see what works and what doesn't work. And however, having said that, I do believe that the vast majority of high performers that I work with business people, athletes, expedition adventurers, scientists uh, are learning that happiness doesn't come from achievement. Happiness doesn't come from having a certain amount of money in your bank account. Obviously, if you can't have a roof over your head and you don't have mm. enough money to buy food, that's a completely different ballgame. But absolutely. And, and then that level, of course, money makes a difference to your overall level of happiness. Having been very, very fortunate and having the incredible privilege of uh, being able to live the life that, that I have because of grew up in Toronto and in a very, very affluent neighborhood and parents with graduate degrees and all sorts of other stuff that put me on a different trajectory that maybe wasn't available to many other people. Um, but I think that overall, all of the high performers, all disciplines, male, female, trans, like all the people that I interact with from every walk of life, we are all universally discovering the power of focusing in on what do we do today to help us move forward. We're focused on trying to be so good at what we do that people can't ignore us. 
whether that's in sports or whether that's doing expeditions or whether that's being a great parent or whether that's as a public speaker or trying to communicate science in the media, it all comes down to just being world-class at whatever it is that you care about the most. And that seems to be what's triggering people to be able to have sustainable high performance and better mental health, frankly, in every aspect of their lives. I was talking to a patient of mine the other day, and he's about your age, Greg. Uh, you're about 50, are you? Yeah, I just turned 50 this year. Scary enough. Yeah. But uh, yeah. 50 years young. <laughs> and and he, this guy is 50 as well. And he said, you know, Mark, I really feel I've just started the second half of my life. Uh, and he, he was giving the analogy of his, of his life being like a game with two halves. And he felt he'd learned a lot up to now. He'd had a lot of experiences, good experiences. He'd overcome some really challenging things in business and in his personal life. And But he'd grown from those. And now he fe- felt he was starting the second half of his life, the second half of the match, with all of this extra experience, all this extra wisdom. And he was really looking forward to being of, of service and a, a real contribution in this second half. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the exercises I did a while ago was to map out my life decade by decade. And it's interesting that when we get to 50 um, and we sort of adopt a view, a long-term view of what are we trying to accomplish? I feel like I'm in such a great place right now. I definitely have more aches and pains than I, than I used to. And, you know, I, I definitely have a harder time getting in shape and staying in shape than I, than I used to when I was 25. It is now about helping others and creating a better life for my children and their, their generation. I honestly feel like right now, if I was to go up against my 35-year-old self, I would take 35-year-old Greg out in everything other than a very long bike ride. And yeah, I feel like we're in a great place now. Like we have the experience, we have the health, we have the knowledge, we have the ways of communicating with people around the world through incredible technology like you and I are doing right now. Like I'm having a conversation with you and I'm in in the middle part of Canada, you're in Ireland, and we're sharing this and people from around the world are going to be able to watch and or listen to this conversation. So I am so excited. I am so happy. I am so thrilled um, that I get to live the life that I do, have the job that I do, communicate with people the way that I do. And I'm so fired up for the next 20 years that, um, yeah, I'm just excited. I think that there's so much possibility, so much potential. And despite the sort of doom scrolling that's possible on social media these days, I really, I am very optimistic. And I think that the world is going in a good direction. I think that there's tremendous potential around functional medicine and health, the latest research in health and well-being that suggests that all of us can live a healthy life deep into our hundreds uh, as centenarians. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm super psyched about the next little while as well. And I, I feel pretty positive about the second half of my life being even better than the first half, which was awesome, by the way. So, well, I think optimism is a wonderful trait to to have and also to learn, because of course optimism it can be learned. And you know, research from the New England Journal of Medicine has shown that being optimistic reduces your risk of heart attack, stroke, and death from all forms of heart disease by between thirty and thirty five percent. So, I think it's a very, very good. Um, attribute to to have in your day-to-day lived experience i agree and you know mark one of the other things just to lean into that one a little bit further is just think about what you just said right like optimism changes your outcomes when it comes to cardiovascular disease 
Optim optimism changes your outcomes when it comes to cancer. Optimism changes your risk of overall mortality. And we're learning that the same thing is true for gratitude practice, for happiness. And this, these are practices that all of us can adopt. You can bullet point five things that you're grateful for at the end of every single day. That changes your mindset. These are things that we can change in our life that make our lives better and fundamentally change our health outcomes at the same time in a way that people never really consider. Like if you think about cardiovascular disease, we used to think that that was uh, only treatable through surgery and drugs. And now we realize that our mental outlook can have a positive impact on that as well. It's incredible. It's an incredible time. I love that you brought up that, um, you know, you noted that thing about optimism because it goes into optimism, gratitude, happiness, and many other areas of positive psychology as well. Well, positive health is something I'm very keen on. And you know, a, a gratitude practice, a written gratitude practice is a, is a keystone habit for me. And it's something I recommend to patients every day, because it's a great way to dissolve toxic stress and anxiety and boost your inner well-being and enable you to feel so much more alive and closer to that person that you are truly meant to be. Yeah. And um, I mean, I love that that's such a huge part of your functional medicine practice, right? Like, how cool is it now that medical doctors are prescribing gratitude? And that's such a counteraction to all of the toxic media that we are being fed, the echo chambers of negativity and fear that exist in social media. And so it's amazing that you're doing that. And the more that we can push that out into the world, I think the better all of us are going to be mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Absolutely, Greg, everything is so connected. And as I say, actions speak louder than words. And none of us can change the world, but we can start by working on improving ourselves and then allowing our own actions inspire others around us. And it can cascade outwards from there. Greg, I want to ask you about your work in the uh, hospital for sick children, because I'm very interested in how you've worked with children that have suffered from chronic health conditions like cystic fibrosis and so on, in terms of supporting them in terms of physical activity and how exercise can really support people to, to feel better. Yeah, got it. So in 2003, I finished my PhD. Fantastic. in respiratory physiology and I couldn't get a job. So, cause apparently once you have a doctorate, no one will hire you. Oh. And, uh, I went and took my bike to Africa and I rode my bike from Cairo to Cape town. And when I got home after five months of cycling in Africa, I was walking through the halls at the university and I ran into one of my old professors and he said, Oh, you're back. You should go talk to Dr. Alan Coates at sick kids hospital. He's trying to build an exercise medicine lab. And so I went and talked to Dr. Coates and Dr. Coates hired me on the spot to do my postdoc. And we ended up building the exercise medicine program at the hospital for sick children. And initially what we were doing was looking at how fitness and physical activity influence the rate of lung function decline in children with cystic fibrosis. So in CF, it's a genetic disease. It's, there's no cure. And gradually over time, the, re the recurring infections in the lungs damage the lungs and Ultimately, you end up needing a heart, uh, sorry, a lung transplant or, mm. and or um, people pass away uh, relatively early. And what we began to work on was trying to figure out whether or not the exercise intolerance, the inability to exercise that people with cystic fibrosis have was because of the symptoms of the disease or was part of the disease itself. We found out that it was actually part of the disease. And so we have subsequently been championing 
the use of exercise as a primary therapy for kids with cystic fibrosis. And it's now included as part of primary therapy around the world for people um, of all ages who are struggling with CF. That work expanded to oncology, and we do a lot of work in uh, kids with leukemia, especially in the three to six years, uh, sorry, six months to three years after uh, they have finished their chemotherapy and radiation treatment, and they've, they've been cleared of disease at that point. We really work on trying to understand why they have exercise intolerance and how to help them make sure that they don't have secondary disease after they've conquered cancer. Uh, a recent study that we just published actually on, on that front where, uh, was where we also looked in at how cancer treatment affects the brain mm. and whether or not stress reactivity is altered in children who have gone through chemotherapy and radiation. That's actually done by Dr. Jillian White, who I'm on my way to go see right now. Uh, and that is also very cool because we're now being able to expand beyond just physical activity interventions into positive psychology interventions like you and I were just discussing Fantastic. Uh, a moment ago. So yeah, no, it's been pretty cool and it's been a long journey. It's been almost 20 years now that we've been doing that research and uh, where exercise medicine was not considered a normal practice back when I started. Now it's standard therapy for almost every disease that uh, we deal with at SickKids Hospital. And it's been really cool to see that evolve. That idea of exercise medicine uh, evolve all over the planet. So pretty proud of that one. Well, you should be, uh, Greg. And, you know, it was one of the reasons I was really keen to have you on the podcast is because you are a scientist and I know you've produced more than 60 research papers and you value the science. And sometimes it can take a long time. It can take a lot of arduous hours of painstaking research to produce the evidence that supports uh, the intervention you're looking at. And, and that's really what's so exciting now about exercise that it really is so beneficial for people of all ages. It really is the greatest pill of all. Isn't it amazing that exercise in and of itself helps mm. to prevent, treat, and cure pretty much every single chronic disease from cardiovascular disease to cancer to type 2 diabetes to metabolic syndrome to mental challenges like depression and anxiety, even Alzheimer's. So when we call it the sort of magic pill, that's exactly what it is. And imagine if there was a medicine that was invented that did all of that, it would be generally hailed as like the greatest achievement medically in human history. And the, the reality is, is that we have access to that today by going for a 15 minute walk. We know that 15 minutes of walking is enough to decrease your risk of 13 different types of cancer by 24 to 40%. We know that 60 minutes a day of physical activity doesn't even need to be hard. It could be as little as walking, gardening, housework doesn't matter, is enough to reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease by over 50%. We know that exercise can be used as a primary treatment for depression and anxiety now that's equal to or more effective than um, medications that are often prescribed to people that are struggling with mental health challenges. Not to say that you shouldn't take your meds, absolutely. Just exercise can be used as another uh, treatment modality to make it even more powerful to help you even more. So it's pretty exciting. And that idea of exercise as a magic pill is a very, very powerful one that I think we should lean into. Absolutely. Beth Fradis, who's a friend of mine, you know, she's in Harvard Medical School and she describes how exercise is better than 10 separate medications that can be prescribed for, for various chronic health conditions. So I think that, you know, the idea of exercise as medicine is really gaining traction 
now in the Western world, which I think is fantastic. Exercise and movement, as you said, simply getting up and going for a walk can make such a difference. It is amazing that it, you know, over and over and over again, what we're seeing for mental health research and for physical, you know, chronic illness research and physical activity is that it absolutely does not matter what you do. And it does not matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you go into the weight room and lift weights. That's fine if you do, but it can also be yoga. And if you don't want to do yoga, that's totally fine. You can go for a walk. If you want to jog and run, that's great. But walking is just as effective. Uh, cycling's really real, fantastic. Even playing golf is brilliantly wonderful for you. Although, you know, the temptation maybe to have a pint after you're done, so that, you know, may offset it a little bit, but we really don't worry about what it is that you are doing. We simply want to sprinkle physical activity throughout the course of our day. Uh, and it literally doesn't matter what you do. Gardening and housework are e- um, equally effective. In fact, gardening has the added benefit of all of the exposure to phytoncides that plants release, which then improve your immune system. So it really, you know, we don't need to worry about what we're doing. We just need to worry about doing a little of it, a little bit of it consistently. I love that term, sprinkling it throughout your day. I mean, I talk about creating micro moments of movement, micro moments of positivity throughout your day, that it's not about being at work versus going to the gym, that you try and integrate more movement into your day. It becomes part of who you are. Greg, I know you, your actions very much speak louder than your own words in, in that you try and be an active demonstration of, of your own values in terms of health and high performance. Just for our listeners, can you just give them an idea of what your own health habits are like? Yeah, no problem. We do try, both Judith who's sitting next to me here and and I try really hard to live an active life. We try really hard to focus on our sleep. We try really hard to eat healthy. I'm by no means am I perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I wish that I was doing more of, you know, I wish I was doing more of all of the above, but when we practice radical self-acceptance, we are, we just do the best we can on any given day, we make progress. So one of the things that we have done, which has made a huge difference is twice a week, early in the morning, 6 a.m., we do a Zoom functional movement practice. So lunges, squats, push-ups, back arches, upward dog, downward dog. So twice a week, we do some sort of strength training to help us move forwards. A few times a week, I would do some sort of cardio, run, cross-country ski, cycling, anything of that nature. Um, I struggled this week with doing yoga. I really felt it. So doing a yoga practice has become so important for me as well. I just do 15 to 30 minutes of that at least a few times a week. And when I do all of that, I feel amazing. One of the other things I've been somewhat obsessed with basically since about 2016 is meditation. So I use an app called Headspace, which has been very helpful for me to learn how to become the observer of my thoughts and emotions, which is certainly helped me to navigate some challenging uh, mental health issues that um, even, you know, I've been trying to address over the last little while. And then Judith and I have been really working on sleep as well, prioritizing it for us as a family. And we're using the Ura Ring and the Vivio app to track our sleep and try to do a little bit better. And then the final piece of the puzzle is nutrition, just eating as organic as we can afford and trying not to have junk food in the house. And when we do those three things, eat, move and sleep, then everything else seems to work uh, a little bit better. But it's just all about making little tiny micro adjustments, as you said, on a daily basis to nudge yourself forwards a little a little bit to build a, a healthier lifestyle. Mm. And as you said, not to beat yourself up for not being perfect. I, I think you said earlier in the conversation, radical self-acceptance 
I think to wrap yourself in kindness and self-compassion, I think that's so, so helpful. And to really appreciate that we're all vulnerable in the world. None of us is perfect. We all have our ups and downs and the challenge is to never stop starting. Yeah. And if you do get off the rails, then it's okay. And that's fine. Like that was that day and it's no big deal. And tomorrow morning, get up and get back on, get back on track. And we don't worry about, we try not to worry about the past. We try to let it go. And, you know, we're human, so that's hard to do. But one of the most important pieces of that, and this is something I struggle with massively, is that radical self-acceptance piece. Is that being kind to yourself, loving yourself so that you can then better love others as well. And that comes from journaling and that comes from, yeah, just, you know, being kind to yourself. And when you do that, a whole bunch of different cascades of physiological changes occur inside the body. When we speak negatively to ourselves, that manifests physiologically in a cascade of hormones that do not make you healthy or well. Whereas when we are positive and we're happy, when we're encouraging, when we practice loving kindness to ourselves, we speak to ourselves in a positive way. We speak to ourselves in a way that's encouraging and forgiving then a cascade of very different hormones are released and flow through our bodies, which heal and repair and regenerate. So that, that internal monologue, that conversation that we have with ourselves is really important to monitor and to observe and to tweak just as much as we might monitor, observe, and tweak our nutrition or our sleep or our exercise. And when we do that, everything else gets a little bit better. I think so. And I think that's really where mindfulness can be so, so helpful as well, Greg, to enable you to become more curious about your emotions, to become more, as you said, of an observer of your experiences and of your thoughts and not to rush into self-judgment. You know, if we can eliminate or at least give ourselves a little bit of loving kindness around expectations and judgments, both internally and externally, I think that can make all the difference in the world. I remember when I was cycling across Africa, if you had any expectations about how your day was going to go, Africa would rapidly crush those expectations in terms of, I expect to get water today. Well, that may not happen. I expect to have food today. May not happen. Expect to be able to ride my bike without getting a flat tire. May not happen. And you learned, or I learned very quickly to kind of ignore those ex and when I didn't have any expectations, I would have a great day of cycling because I could just absorb the day as it happened, good, bad, or or whatever. It was so much easier. Around judgment, I think that's also something super important for us to consider these days because we live in an era when everyone's judging each other on social media. And whatever it is that you post is instantaneously judged in terms of likes, follows, comments. And you and I both know as public figures is that sometimes you post things on on social and it triggers a whole ton of cascades of mm. you know less than positive feedback. So we are living in an era of constant unrelenting judgment quite often by people we don't even know. Mm -hmm. And so the ability for us to not judge and the ability for us to not really worry about other people's judgment of us. And then first, uh, sorry, probably most importantly for us to let go of judging ourselves that I think can lead to some massive growth opportunities, a much happier and healthier life, uh, both internally and externally. Yeah. So when we navigate and become the observer of our thoughts and let go of expectations and judgment, I think that can make a huge difference for people. This is not easy. This is the deep work, 
This is where therapy can help. Journaling can help. A gratitude practice can help. Mentors can help. Uh, great friends who you can have real conversations with can help. Uh, yeah, that's the deep, that's the deep, deep, deep work that I think a lot of us need to do right now. I think you're so right. I mean, no man is an island uh, and no woman is an island either. And it's, it's really important if you are struggling to be able to reach out to somebody for support, whether it is a, a therapist, trained therapist for CBT or whether it's a trusted friend or confidant or whether it's whether it's a mentor. I think we everybody needs support in life. I think that's a really, really important message. It is. And um, I think that it's an important one for us to share as healthcare professionals is that it's okay to be struggling. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to reach out for help. I remember several years ago when I was you know, speaking in and around mental health and I would mention therapy, everyone would sort of immediately freeze and, you know, like clam up. Now I mention therapy and people are like, what type are you talking about? <laughs> is, it, is it CBT? Is it EMDR? Like what, what type of work are you actually doing? And that's awesome because it means that it's just becoming as ubiquitous in society as you broke your arm, you have a cast, how's your arm? You know, you're struggling, you're, you've got some challenges around depression. That's totally okay. How are you feeling? And we can have these conversations now with much less stigma. We can have these conversations now and with well, with less judgment, we can have these conversations now and receive support. Uh, and quite often, we don't even need to do anything. The simple fact that we are available to listen, the simple fact that we are able to, to talk openly is quite often enough. What we know now, according to some really cool psychological research that I've been told about from people who are far more highly trained about this than I am, is that when we become the observer and when we are able to label what is happening to us or how we are feeling, simply labeling the, the, the mental challenge that we're faced with, depression, anxiety, whatever it happens to be, decreases the severity of the effects that that has upon us. So these conversations are critical. Breaking the stigma is super important. Asking for help is key and being all right with saying, I'm not all right is also a key piece of all of this puzzle um, because many, many, many people are, are struggling right now. And that's totally fine. We're going to get through this together. And the more we can do that as a loving, caring, open, supportive community, the better off everybody is going to be. And that's the thing about thoughts and emotions. They pass like the weather. And as you said, being able to name your anxiety, being able to name your anger, being able to name your guilt it does help dissipate it. And it, it is really one of the key aspects of being emotionally agile, that you don't sort of get wrapped up too much in the emotion. You understand that you are actually separate from it. Yeah. And what an, an interesting mindset that I've been trying to adopt over the last little while is just to ride. Imagine that you're surfing and you're riding the wave of whatever that emotion happens to be at that time. The wave will eventually crash. The wave will settle down. You will make it to shore. And whether it's a little bit of anger, a little bit of guilt, a little bit of frustration, a little bit of depression, uh, a little bit of anxiety, happiness, craving, hunger, craving, whatever it happens to be. I've just been visualizing it as, you know what, I'm just going to ride this wave. This wave is going to last for a few minutes. I'm just going to breathe through this. I'm going to try to respond, not react. And when we do that, things go well. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I got a little bit frustrated earlier this week. I reacted. Judith, my wife, is so fabulous and awesome and patient with me that she allowed me to ride that wave in our living room, maybe a little bit more as a reaction than a response than I would have liked. But, you know, we're all trying to get through this together. We're all, we're all learning. And 
um, we're going to get through this together. And I think that it's, it's okay. And we just need to, again, practice that loving kindness, radical self-acceptance and together we'll all move forwards. I'm just going to share with my listeners that this, as this conversation is taking place, Greg is driving his car. He's somewhere in Canada. His beautiful wife, Judith, is in the front seat beside him and his children and family, pet dog, are in the back seat. So I can see the entire family here while we're having this conversation. And they're being very generous and patient with their time, uh, for which I'm very grateful. Yeah, we're grateful to have the chance to talk to all of you, to you, to you as well, Mark. And my family's along for the ride. They're super supportive of me. You know, I have, I have chosen an unusual career path. I left a tenured position at the university to be an author and a speaker and uh, try to make a, a difference in the world through science communication. So we're all on this journey together. It's not easy and it's different. And, uh, you know, I've, I've adopted a, a, a life that causes some stress for my family from time to time in a whole host of different ways. So yeah, we're all in this together and they're super supportive. They know daddy's on a podcast. They're watching a movie in the back seat. My dog's sleeping and, uh, and Judith is holding the phone steady. So we make sure that we have some decent video for you as we go along. If you were looking back, Greg, at your 22 year old self, what might you say to him now? You know, my 22 year old self was an athlete finishing university. And the one thing that I think I would love to do differently and better historically and probably through my 20s, 30s, and, and even my 40s, and this is something I'm really working on right now as well, is leaning in more. Um, I wish that I had given myself permission to go truly all in on the things that I, that I cared about. So when I was a swimmer, uh, you know, training for the Olympics, transparently, I think I probably spent more time in the pub than I should have at that particular point in time, uh, you know, in my twenties, as I was building a business and doing grad school, you know, I, I probably could have gone to a few more peripheral sessions to learn more from some of the great people that were in my environments at that time when I was, and currently what I'm trying to do right now, learning from this is my, my practice at the moment is I'm really thinking a lot about excellence and mastery and doing a lot less, but doing it much, much better. Uh, so that would be the message that I would send back to myself when I was 22. I would, I would very simply say, do less, lean in and, and, and do it really, really, really well, Greg, like it's okay to try to be the absolute best at what it is that you do. I was pretty good at a lot of things. I have no regrets, but I think I could have done less. And I think I could have done it at a slightly better level just by leaning in and giving myself permission to go 100% in on the things that I was doing throughout my entire life. Well, as I would say, you're still learning. You're still a work in progress as I am, as we all are. And, uh, you know, life is a journey. I think mastery and acquiring wisdom is a, is a wonderful thing to aim towards. And I think that's a lifelong journey that never ends. It is. And isn't it cool that, you know, I'm learning and growing and developing and sharing as much now as I ever have. And, you know, like, I, I'm so excited about the next 10 years and what's possible. And the fact that if I focus in on health and I'm not, I'm going to have as much energy and vitality as I've ever had to, you know, share ideas into the world. So yeah, it's a pretty cool time. And that's that idea of mastery and excellence, I think will go through our entire lives. As long as we keep that curiosity that you mentioned earlier, I love that word curiosity. As long as we keep that 
sense of, of curiosity and seeking, then I think that we'll be able to do some pretty incredible things. Absolutely. Greg, for our listeners, could you give them three take-homes for a resilient mind? Mark, you know, resilience is so important right now, our ability to bounce back and overcome challenges. And there's a few things I've done, you know, bouncing back from a broken neck, um, bouncing back from a heart, cardiac, a heart, a heart infection a few years ago, and, you know, a whole bunch of other failures in life. The first one is, I really believe in 1% wins. We've talked about micro improvements, little tiny changes that we can make. And when we're trying to bounce back the little tiny Things that we do on a daily basis consistently over time add up to massive change. So going for the walk, doing a little bit of meditation, calling a friend, making one healthy meal, taking a nap, these little tiny actions that we take add up, exponentially improve, uh, add up and exponentially improve our outcomes. So tactic number one, you don't need to do it all at once. Just practice some micro wins that'll make a huge difference. Tactic number two is to be hope-filled. Not necessarily hopeful, but hope-filled. When we're in difficulty, when things are dark, when we're in the middle of a challenge, we don't often see or even think about the light at the end of the tunnel. And you can feel like things are never going to get better. You can feel like you're never going to make it through the challenge. And the idea around being hope-filled is trusting that things will get better. This too shall pass to quote Buddha, I believe, or another Buddhist wisdom, uh, some more Buddhist wisdom there. So remaining hope filled, trusting that sufficiency will win out. The abundance of the world will eventually get to you and that you will recover, regenerate, grow and learn. And then the final piece of the puzzle when it comes to resilience is trusting in yourself you have, if we look back, we can often see that we've made unbelievably incredible progress over a year, five years, 10 years. If you think back to yourself 10 years ago, you could probably never even imagine how well you're doing right now or how many things you've overcome over that 10 year period. When we look forwards, we don't often see that. And so when we look back, we can gain confidence that we're able to overcome, we're able to learn, we're able to develop, we're able to grow. Uh, and so that would be the final piece of the puzzle is gain confidence by looking back and trust that you'll be able to apply the same skills or maybe acquire new skills that will enable you to move forwards. That's wonderful. And finally, for you, Greg, what's the meaning of life? That's a really great question. I think that's one of those things that we struggle to figure out and we'll probably continuously try to be figuring out our entire lives. For me, the meaning of life right now is professionally to try to help others. Personally is to create magic moments. And if I was to sort of take a step back and wrap it all up in one, uh, is just to allow myself to live in the present moment and to be happy because from a Buddhist perspective, that's the meaning of life, right? That's the purpose of life is to be present and to be happy. It's not easy. It's an ongoing process, but yeah, that's probably where, where I'm at. Help others, create magic moments and be happy in the present moment. Well, Greg, that's fantastic. I want to say to you, it's been a pleasure having you on the doctor's chair. Keep leading and learning, keep challenging, stay curious, keep inspiring others. 
to enhance their well-being and live with more vitality. Greg Wells, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.